welcome to Australian Beeback Stories. We're your hosts, Amy, Bronwyn, Caitlin and Georgia. This podcast is for you, the women and parents of Australia, to share your journey to vaginal birth after caesarean and to listen to those who have fought the path before. Whether you've had a VBAC or planned one, supported someone through one, or simply want to learn more, we hope this will be a resource that inspires, informs, and celebrates all unique experiences. This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundangara country. Hi, everyone. Um, we're all here today, um, all four of us, and we are ready and waiting to listen to um, one of our co-host Bronwyn's birth stories that she is um, very kindly sharing with us today. Um, so I guess we'll go, we'll just jump straight in. Bron, can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yes, there is, in my family, there is me and my husband, Finian, and our three children, Milo, who's almost four, Hugo, who's almost two, and Eva, who just turned four months yesterday. And we have three cats, and we live in the Blue Mountains. Beautiful. So what ideas did you have about birth and becoming a mother before you conceived the first time? About becoming a mother, I knew it was going to be hard. Um, but it's one of those things where you never know how hard it's going to be until you're actually on the other side and you're like, oh, this is what they meant. Um, I always wanted to be a mum. Not the only thing I ever wanted, but it's something that I always wanted for myself. Um, ever since I was a child, you know, I, I came up with Evelyn's name or I decided on my daughter's name when I was nine years old. Um, and... So I always just assumed I have four sisters. I always assumed I'd have a big family. I always wanted a big family. Um, and I always wanted to be the type of mother that my mum is. Um, I come from a line of women who have done everything they can within their abilities and power to address generational trauma before they can pass it on. And I'm the first generation who doesn't really have to do that um, because I don't have any childhood trauma because my mum worked really hard to avoid that. And so my ideas about motherhood come from witnessing her, uh, her strength and determination and persistence and iron will <laughs> to overcome her stuff. Um, and I knew that's the kind of mother that I wanted to be because she's still, I'm almost 34 and she's still my safe place. In terms of giving birth, uh, now I'm here in this position, hindsight, makes it makes it difficult to remember my previous conceptions of birth because it's so positive now but I'm pretty sure I was mostly afraid um because you know I it wasn't so much talked about in my family um my sister my older sister gave birth to her first child three weeks before I had mine um and my mom really didn't go into much detail about birth until I, you know, I got pregnant and kept asking her lots of questions. Um, and the only representation I had was in the media and that's, you know, it's a very frightening narrative where delivered, you know, that it's also presented as really quick. <laughs> we know that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I was mostly, mostly afraid, um, my elder sister, she told me to listen to Australian birth stories when we were pregnant together. 
And I was really hesitant to, cause I just, I wasn't ready to hear it. Um, I eventually did listen to a few and then went into my first birth, um, moderately more prepared for the realities than I would have been had I not listened to those stories, but I was, I was mostly afraid. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. So could you now take us to the journey to your cesarean birth? Yes. So with, with that in mind, I did my research for my, with the pregnancy for my first son, I teach at, um, uh, the tertiary level. So I teach how to research. So it's, it's kind of really ingrained in, in the way I approach things. And so I had done my own research. I knew about the cascade of intervention and I knew I wanted to avoid it. I really closed myself off to the idea of a cesarean birth. I just didn't consider it at all. I said, that's not going to happen. I don't want that. Because also there's not just fear about, about birth, there's fear about surgery. I have a real terror <laughs> of surgery that's only um, been exacerbated um, since since that time. So I, I had done my research and um, something we've discovered that happens when I'm pregnant is I do get gestational hypertension. So towards the end of my pregnancy um, with Milo, I developed gestational hypertension and I was through the public system um and they really they really jumped on that as as a real red flag um so i was getting extra monitoring towards the end of my pregnancy i was put on medication that was controlling it the whole time my blood pressure was borderline and i understand they were worried about preeclampsia but i never had any swelling i didn't have vision changes i didn't have headaches i didn't have protein in my urine i just had the hypertension so they were really on me from about 37 weeks to agree to an induction, but I knew I didn't want that. Um, I knew enough to know that I didn't want that. So I, you know, I pushed back. I I, I agreed to extra monitoring. I had to go in for BP profiles. It took like four to five hours um, for a couple of weeks, like a few, every. I think it was like every second day, um, for a couple of weeks just being monitored and bored out of my mind. It was like white coat, also white coat um, hypertension because when I was upstairs at the clinic, it would be super high. I'd go downstairs, be around nice nice midwives, and it would be fine. It would kind of be, you know, on the higher end, but it was it was better than it was upstairs. So there was something else going on there, but it was borderline the whole time. And then I had an appointment with an obstetrician. It was my first and last appointment with an obstetrician. We were talking about the induction and I said, I don't want to agree to an induction because I know there's a risk of the cascade of interventions. And she said, well, if you don't agree to an induction, there's a risk your baby will die. And as a first-time mum, I mean, that's playing on your greatest, as, as a mum, it's playing on your greatest fear. Um, and I remember coming out of that um, appointment and just crying. Yeah, <laughs> it was a kind of a devastating thing to hear and knowing that I'd kind of reached my limits in what I could fight against because I didn't, I didn't want to make a decision that put my baby at risk, um, mm. you know, even though I know now it wasn't. But... Um, so I agreed 
to be induced. Um, and so I went in, I think I went in on a Wednesday, Wednesday morning, and I wasn't quite 39 weeks. Um, and I had a dose of the Cervidil tape. Um, they call it a tape. I had the Cervidil. Um, and because I'd gotten to know one of the midwives quite well through my VP profiles, she did it and she was really lovely. But she said, next time they do this, let them know that you need them to go slowly and gently because it was like, it was so uncomfortable. It's someone shoving a cervidil inside you right up next to your cervix that is not ready for mm. labor. And I, I was like, yeah, okay. But anyway, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. It didn't, it, I, I each day my bishop score, and I'm not sure I, right now, I'm not sure like what that, I couldn't explain what that means, but the bishop score wasn't, it, it moved, improved or um, increased, that's the word, by a point each day. So my body was no, nowhere near ready. So I had the first dose of Cervidil and I had to stay in the hospital. I've heard some people have been, have been allowed to go home, but I wasn't able to. Um, then the next day I had another Cervidil and I said what the midwife told me to say to the doctor and she did not listen. Um, and then, so that would have been the Thursday. And then the Friday it had, the Bishop score had increased by one point. And so then they, you gave me the, um, Foley, Foley catheter, the balloon Mm. catheter, Mm -hmm. um, which with in terms of like the whole the whole kind of uh, experience of that birth that was the worst <laughs> that um that procedure was just I used the gas and everything but it just didn't like it was just awful and my mum was there for that and my now husband was there for that um and again that that dilated me I ended up after those three things it was one centimeter dilated so that brings us to the Saturday morning when they were going to they were going to put me on the Sinto drip. But they also because I knew I wanted to be mobile. That's the other thing is I knew that I, I needed to be moving around. And I'd spent all also all those nights walking around the hospital um and just trying to get things moving, which were where it wasn't going to happen. Um I am just remembering now that I also had a stretch and sweep at some point prior to the servital. But um so it was just Really just kind of one, um, I consider them violations now after another and not knowing what to expect, I kind of just thought that's okay, that's this is just, it's uh, uncomfortable, it just sucks. I knew I wanted to be mobile, so I agreed to the scalp clip, which is not a clip as we all know, and I, I hate that I did that, but I, I knew I knew I didn't want a cesarean. And I knew I didn't want to be stuck on the bed and I thought this is my choice. So I agreed to the scalp clip, but I didn't, I mean, they didn't explain it to me, but obviously if they're going to put the scalp clip in them, they're going to break my waters, but they didn't say, mm-hmm. now we're going to break your waters. Now we're going to, you know, they didn't walk me through it. Um, and I remember being like, oh, like su- surprised. <laughs> I don't know. Like, obviously it's kind of obvious, but I just didn't, didn't expect it. So I had the scalp clip and my water's broken and then they put me on the drip and kind of left me alone. And for um that that labor, I was with Finian and I was with my mum. 
and I was messaging my sister in Crete <laughs> and being like, oh, I'm still, I can still talk. It's not so bad. Um, <laughs> and also just being so like, like, oh, like, oh, like my, my water's leaking down my leg. I'm like, oh my God, it feels like I'm peeing myself. Like just, it was this really kind of like unpleasant experience. Just all of it, just all of it. I'm like, this is how my baby is going to come into the world. It was just all unpleasant and but I just felt like, oh, this is just something that I have to, um, I mean, I mentioned this in the first one, but I had been told, you know, leave your dignity at the door. And I guess the culmination or, or combination, sorry, of all those experiences, I was like, oh, that's what they mean. Um, because I didn't feel like I had any dignity or much say in anything. I, a lot of it was being, you know, it was things being done to me that I felt like I had to agree to. I expected, I guess I expected pain. That's what you're told, you know, that's what the message that we get sent, that it's going to be painful. I didn't expect it to be um, profane, for for it to be treated um, irreverently or like it, you know, kind of was insignificant or, or you know, to expect um, to, I guess, to be barely considered as like it wasn't, a, it didn't feel like it was about me. Um, it was about doing the next thing. And so to, I guess, cut a long <laughs> story short, it's not happening. Um, I was on the, the Sinto drip for 10 hours and I progressed to four centimetres. Um, so I think I had three. I had three vaginal exams, um, examinations. And the the third one I asked for, and I'm not sure how long it had been because, you know, I was no longer able to talk and I was no longer able to text my sister. Um, I, the, the midwife, she was very young and she was very lovely. Um, and I asked her for another one and I'm like, tell me, you know, tell me how far I am because I, again, was on the, of the mindset like that's, that's going to tell me how much longer I have to go, which I now know better. I know, know that it's not. So saying your cervix is not a crystal ball. I know that's not um, a good gauge of progress, but anyway. Um, and she kind of was trying to talk me out of it because she obviously knew that I wouldn't have progressed much and possibly knew that if they had to maybe chart the lack of progression, then it meant there was a next step that was going to be taken. Um, and I remember I was lying on my right side facing the wall and I was, you know, making the the mooing sounds um, and being really conscious as well. Like I was in that, now I know the difference in that labor, I was really mentally scrambling to like, I guess, kind of get a hold of something of, of some sort of control or feeling like that I was even there um, mentally. But I, I was also present of mind enough to be like, oh, I sound like a cow, <laughs> like not expecting that either. Um <laughs> And I really, with with Finian's support, I really needed, like whenever I had a contraction, I'd grab his hand and put it under, <laughs> over my cheek um, because whenever I, I you know, um, I have, I have like, I think it's generalised anxiety. So whenever I am anxious or have panic attacks, he puts his hands on my cheeks and I just 
he holds my face and I calm down. So I was just like grabbing him and occasionally, you know, I'd be like hand because <laughs> I would let go. I wouldn't want him touching me outside of the contraction, but I was like hand. And so he spent the, you know, that time hunched over on this chair, putting his hand under my cheek. And my mum at some point for, for hours, she was rubbing my lower back. So much so that the next day it was like swollen and so like bruised and sore. And like there was all these, like, you know, there were funny moments. Like she she was like, oh, you can hold my hand, hold my hand. And she's an older lady and she's got these fragile little hands. I'm like, I don't need little bird hands. I need big meaty hands. <laughs> like this part, I just like, I'm like, I need this part to squeeze. And um, at one point, and this this sound might sound um sound strange, but this became part of his his wedding vows. I um at one point he said you're doing so good <laughs> and I was like well I'm doing so well <laughs> you know so I was present enough of mind enough to do that and mom's like are you kidding me <laughs> just I knew he would say it I knew I'd have to correct him uh so you it's know the priorities was, yeah you know. that's right <laughs> um once a teacher always a teacher um, but then it got to the point where she checked me and I guess there was a discussion with a doctor and the doctor came in, the surgeon came in and said, um, you know, I don't remember. I just remember, you know, like just bursting into tears because he said I'd have to have a, and you know, needed to have a cesarean. And, and he said, <laughs> oh, what are you listening to? I was like, fuck do you not see what's happening here like I was listening to um Moonlight Sonata by Beethoven which usually you know is very calming and relaxing so that's why I chose it oh what's this like I'm like can we not talk about my music choice right now and then he's like oh you're in a world of hurt and like you know in this kind of like oh this will help you this will stop that for you and I was just convinced that I was going to die like that's what the point I was at because I was being told I had to have a cesarean and I genuinely was at this mental place where I thought I'm not going to come out I'm going to die and so um I you know I was crying and my mum was upset because she I get my anxiety from her and she was worried about me and she was worried about how I was feeling and she messaged my sister my elder sister and she sent me a video message saying you've done so well um and it's gonna be okay and she just had her baby three weeks before um and my other sister was messaging me um saying it's gonna be okay and I was saying to Finian you have to live with my mum so just like getting him to agree to that he's like you're gonna you know because I'm like also scaring him like he's he's going through it too in a different way mm-hmm. but me well. being like no like I'm convinced <laughs> um and I was just crying and I remember the guy wheeling me wheeling the bed to the theater and I was just like I don't want to be seen right now like I'm trying to somehow deal with these feelings um anyway so I, I had to get the spinal and the anesthesiologist, the room was full of people and that guy, because I can't say the word, anesthesiologist, made a bet very loudly with a nurse that he would be able to get a spinal in the first time. 
first go. Um, and then, and I was like, what, like, what do you, what's that about? And then after he got it in, he asked me my weight and I thought he needed to know for like dosage, you know? So I told him, and then he said very loudly to this nurse, he made a bet with, I was able to get the spinal in first go on someone who weighs this much and then said the number to the whole room. Um, and so it was just, you know, I, I wasn't, I was humiliated, but I was just like, this is just a thing that's like, I was not there mentally really. I was just like, this is what's happening. Um, you know, they, they send the partner out, um, while they're putting the spinal in, then he came back in and I was laying down and he, um, Finian was there holding my hand and that started. And I was like, so turned to the anesthetist and said, can you let me know when they've started? And he was like, oh yeah, they have. And so there was no like walking me through it. There was no conversation. It was just like, they got to work and there was lots, so many, I feel like it was just so crowded. There was so many people there it seemed. And they were just talking about like it was a Saturday night. So they were talking about their plans um, and laughing and there was these bright lights and I was just like, you know, I didn't, I don't know that I had any thoughts. And then they pulled my baby out and lifted him up and um, said, you know, what is it? Like, you know, I guess trying to get us, let us or get us to say it's a boy but I couldn't also couldn't see him. They didn't hold him up high enough over the drapes. Oh. So I was just like, and they're like, oh, do you, like the surgeon said, do you see him? I'm like, no, I can't see him. But also I guess before that conversation happened, I heard Milo's first cry and it's like, Finney and I talk about it, it's like all the sound came rushing back into the room and I just burst into tears because there was oh. my baby that I'd wanted so desperately. And the anesthesiologist said, why are you, why are you crying? And I was oh. like, my baby was just born. A baby was just born. Are you fucking serious? Like, mm. and like to, that really brought me out of that moment to mm. be interrupted. Anyway. Gosh. Um, and then I was, oh, they, they took Milo and I had asked for delayed cord clamping because I knew about that as well. And, you know, they told me I got it, but it was like what the standard in cesarean is like 60 seconds or something. So it wasn't enough. Mm. Um, and they took him over and did the checks and there's photos of like Finney and cutting the cord. But I was like, that's ceremonial bullshit. Like this. And that's another like whole patriarchal thing. I'm just like, well, let's make the man feel special. Like <laughs> anyway, <laughs> because they'd already cut it. And I like, we zoomed in on the photos. I'm like, that's already cut. Why are they? Like it just seems so ridiculous in that moment oh. to be like, oh, here's your job. Here's your job, Dad. Like, what? Oh. Anyway, um, and then I got I I used to always say I got skin to skin, but I looked at the photos and I'm like, no, I didn't. He was like, I had a I had his face against my face, and I the the midwife did pull down my robe, so she helped me enough that you know I could get his face on my chest, um. And he latched as well, so that was good. But I only got those things because they there was something there was something on my bowel that they also didn't tell me. We just overheard them talking, and I'm like, oh, you know, the, the Milo was there for a while, and Finney and I just heard them talking about something on my bowel, and they got this like head 
our doctor to come down. And so we were just like waiting for, I don't know, we didn't know what they didn't, they weren't talking to us. They weren't explaining what was going on. And then um, the doctor said, oh, it's just a, a polyp and she's, it's fine. Like, but then no one talked to us about it or no one talked to me about it. So, you know, they um, uh, stitched me up and while that was happening, my uh, Fidian and Milo went away and I didn't realize that I could, like, I just didn't realize I could ask them to stay. I just thought, um, you know, this is what, you know, this is what happened. So they were stitching me up and not talking to me. And I had, at this point, it had been Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it's now Saturday night. And I had not literally not slept in that time mm. at all. So I was just wrecked, totally wrecked. Um, and I, I was there by myself and they were stitching me up and I just, I started the only way I, I think of it as like the only way I could either keep my sanity or I had just completely lost it. I just started singing songs to myself of, you know, songs that I knew the words to like Johnny Cash mm. and ABBA, like just trying to hold on to something. And I remember the surgeon looking at me like, what's what? like, but didn't, still didn't talk to me. Like, I'm like, if you see that, wouldn't you? That is a, such a strange thing for someone to do is to start singing. <laughs> I would think like in that circumstance, but I was like, this is the only thing I can do is is to, to kind of hold on to the last shreds of my sanity um, or humanity. And um, so that's what I did. And they stitched me up and I'm a plus size woman, I suppose I'll say. Um, and the surgeon was just like, oh, now you're ready to wear a bikini. And I went, yeah, right. Because like I'm not off like I'm just that really annoyed me but everyone laughed because it's such a funny joke to make about a fat woman that she's going to wear she's going to be wearing a bikini it's such a hilarious thing anyway that really pissed me off and it was just like one humiliation after another um but anyway I, I was I don't know if I was in in recovery if that's a specific place I was in the room that they wheeled me in to begin with and then they wheeled me into the theater so I went when I went to recovery um I was just like I was I was laying there and there was there was a nurse and someone else I don't know if it was the anesthetist but someone was just making sure I wasn't going to throw up or something and I had to wait there it ended up being like over an hour I think because you know we have photos of Milo being born and then photos of me holding him and I kind of have looked at the time stamps on those um but I was wheeled back to the room and no one was there and I was just left alone and I remember hearing the wheels on the lino and looked up and saw Finian wheeling Milo in and I was really aware of myself I guess because I held out my arms and I just I panted like an animal I couldn't speak I just needed to have my baby in my arms I just and then I I held on to him and I didn't put him down for like the first year of his life um <laughs> so that was I guess um my first my first experience of birth um and it was nothing like I whatever I'd imagined it was nothing like I'd imagined because I'd really close off my myself to the idea that I was going to have a cesarean I just refused to believe that it would happen 
and then mm. it did. And everything I was worried about happening happened. I knew about the cascade of interventions. I knew if they did one thing, it would lead to another, to another, to an emergency cesarean. And that's exactly what happened. But yeah, it was not good. <laughs> mm. It was not good. And, and I'm so sorry that you were so disrespected and that's just unacceptable. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's just, I mean, I've t- spoken to a couple of people about it um, and some people have said, oh, have you know, have you made a complaint? Have you put anything in? And like they were saying, I don't know who I spoke to in the beginning. I think it was they sent out a, a home or a midwife to my home. So and that's another thing I really fought to get out of the hospital because I did not want to be there. I, I just didn't, I didn't feel, and I guess there's something that stops me from writing it down or I don't know. I know I have a photo of the guy. I don't know his name, but I have a photo of the guy. Mm. Um, I'm like, this is clearly someone. Like with my thought of the OB who said, oh, your baby could die really bluntly. I was just like, this is someone who should not be in this job and should not be allowed near people. And I had the same thought about the anesthesiologist. Mm. Um, like he should mm. not be around. Like he's used to people being unconscious, I guess, because this mm. is not how you talk about True. or to people. Anyway. That those experiences did lead to me having postnatal anxiety. Um, I, you know, didn't sleep. Um, Milo, I think now again, hard to know. Um, I think he was a tricky baby in terms of sleep. Um, I mean, I know he was because he wouldn't let me put him down in the bassinet. Like, you know, would have to do these kind of ninja moves to try and roll out of the room. <laughs> and um, my subsequent children are not like that. I have not been like that. So. And even if he was asleep, I was staring at that baby, making sure his chest was rising and falling. Um, I was, you know, I was hypervigilant. I, if I did fall asleep, I was having really terrible nightmares that I've never, that there's one in particular I've never been able to voice out loud. Um, it was just so terrible. I was, you know, having the intrusive thoughts. I, um, if I get super, super anxious, and it's only happened a couple of times in my life, I start to get kind of obsessive behaviors. Um, so there's a, like a, a, a dash of OCD in there as well. Um, and it was really bad. Um, my mom ended up, because I was still, we'd, we'd moved back in, in with my mom, I guess, so we could have help with Milo. Um, and my mom ended up taking him for several hours a night so I could get some sleep. But even then I was just so rigid being like, that's my baby. I should be with my baby. I'm a terrible mother. And just like mm. going down this this spiral um, of negative thoughts. Um, And I guess the point it got to where I realized I needed some help <laughs> was I was rocking him in the middle of the night and Finian was asleep and I heard a noise in the next room and I knew it was my cats. I knew that on a kind of one level. But on another really real level, I thought they've come to take my baby. I don't know who they were, but I was convinced someone was about to come and take my baby from me. And I remember my jaw feeling like it was locked tight. I had to feel like this is like there was part of me, still a really strong part, I think, um, it was very small at the time, but it was really strong because it said, this is not normal. Um, you need to ask for help. And so I forced my jaw open and I said, Finian, like woke him up. I said, I need help. 
And I think, you know, that week I made an appointment with my GP and I went on sertraline and I realized, oh, I should probably have been on this for a while. <laughs> Is this what oh. normal feels like? <laughs> I don't need to be worrying all the time. Um, so it made a huge difference and things turned around then. Milo was about four months old at that time. Um, and I looked back in preparation for, I guess, this discussion and starting this podcast to see when I joined the VBAC support group and Milo was about three months old um, when I was, like, thinking about, I guess, thinking about the next one. Um, and I should say that after he was born, the next day the surgeon came in and said, uh, blah, 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 I don't remember, but then he said, you're a good candidate for a VBAC. And I don't know if I knew what that meant at the time, but I know I held on to it because I know the, you know, I know the phrasing still, or you know, all these years later, four years later, um, you're a good candidate. And I don't, I, yeah, I really don't know if I knew what a VBAC was then, but obviously within those few months I found out if I didn't already know and I joined that support group and I was determined, you know, like that's the next step. Mm. Never going through that again. How did your next pregnancy come to be? So uh, Finian and I knew that we wanted to have our children pretty close together in age and I've kind of come to the conclusion that I really don't want to get out of the baby years only to, you know, get used to children who are a bit more independent and then go back to <laughs> into the baby years and I just kind of want to be exhausted for several years in a row, I guess. <laughs> um, so when Milo was... I can't calculate this quickly, um, but I knew I wanted them to be kind of two years apart. And so in the beginning of 2021, we started trying for our second baby. And uh, I think it was probably, not even probably, I know it was definitely my second regular cycle back after having Milo that I fell pregnant with Hugo. Did you know immediately that you wanted to be back? Yes, I did. As soon as Milo was born. Yeah, I definitely knew I never wanted to have another surgery if it could be avoided. I learned about different types of support you could have during birth and labor, labor and birth. And I think I had been told by someone I went to school with during my first pregnancy with Milo that um, I should have a doula. And I didn't know what that was at the time. I, I, that was the kind of the first thing I was like, okay, that's something that I can do differently. So I Googled um, doulas in the Blue Mountains and there was one that came up that had a lot of really good um, reviews and I looked at her website and she had a lot of information on there. Um, she clearly had a big interest in women and supporting women and believing in their innate power to birth children their children in their own way she had a long list of qualifications as well and it felt reassuring to um, talk to someone who had a background in research I felt I could trust trust her and trust the information that she would share with me um, so yeah I contacted her we had a really good phone call um, where I shared a lot of my first birth story with her and I, I think we arranged to have a, a meeting and I guess the intent was to see whether or not I would book her but I had already decided after, the, after that phone call. But I had intended to 
have my second birth in the same hospital, um, I guess, because I didn't really really know my other options or at least I'd I'd heard of home birth, but I didn't really feel comfortable at that point. Um, I I didn't know enough about it. I thought, you know, my automatic uh, thought was that I wouldn't feel safe, (laughs) which is funny to me now. Um, (laughs) But I... Around the time I was a couple of months pregnant with Hugo, my sister and I went to see the documentary Birth Time and I felt really seen and represented, I suppose, really represented in that film. And I was like, yes, this is my exact experience. And I, I cried within the first few minutes and there's there was someone's story in it, particularly every time I watch that documentary makes me cry. And I'm like, I, I know that feeling so well. Um, so I decided at the end of that, I was walking through the car park with my sister and I said, I'm having a home birth and I didn't know what I would necessarily have to do to make it happen, but I knew I, I had to make it happen. Um, because the idea of stepping foot back into the hospital made me feel, made me feel sick. Um, and I'd, I'd actually, by that point had stepped foot back into the hospital for my first booking in appointment and, um, the midwife was very knowledgeable and I, you know, she listened and heard my first story and um, actually encouraged me to make, uh, it wasn't necessarily a complaint, but talk to a case, case worker. They were, they were doing something, they were doing some interviews or something and she wanted me to, you know, she wanted me to talk about it. Um, But I guess I wasn't really ready to, to take that further at that point. Um, And she also said the phrase, they won't allow you to go past 40 weeks if you're planning on a VBAC. And that word really, that word allowed really stood out to me. Um, and I said to her, even that language is problematic. Um, you know, and I, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to <laughs> ever go back there. I didn't want to be in a position where it was like I had to seek permission from faceless strangers to have a baby the way I wanted to have a baby. And it's, it, it seemed ridiculous then. It seems ridiculous now that that's something that women have to fight for. Um, I contacted a few midwives who service my area. I ended up contacting one who, when I spoke to her and we, we had a really good phone conversation on a Saturday night, I was able to um Get, get a feel for her perspective on VBAC and she was definitely a VBAC supportive provider, um, care provider. So, you know, we organised the time to meet up and um, in my kind of changing my decision of where to birth, um, my my mum voiced some concerns um, because she has concerns about everything, <laughs> um, everything I do. <laughs> um, and... So I really wanted her there for that first meeting with my midwife um, to so she could get her answers uh, her questions answered. Um, and the midwife was able to explain what they bring to the birth and what procedures they are they they have um, in case you know things plans need to change. And she did say, it's not home birth at all costs. Um, and and it turned out 
it's not it like you know she obviously she was right it's not necessarily about where where you birth exactly rather it is more important how you feel and how you are treated um throughout your pregnancy and um birth and labor as i came to learn so the pregnancy was pretty uneventful um in my first pregnancy i did have the gestational hypertension and this time i didn't it was perfectly fine. Um, <clears throat> I my appointments with my midwife were um, just really calm. I didn't. I felt really relaxed, and, I, and you know they happened in my house, so you know of course I felt safe. Um, but my midwife also really helped me feel safe, and she has a really calm, chill demeanor and really confident, um, which allowed me to feel confident as well um and so it got to the point through my discussions with my my doula and my midwife where I almost kind of forgot that I was trying for a VBAC and that it was a risk that there was quote-unquote risks involved um because we just kind of were having conversations like it was almost like it was like a done deal it was like yeah that's what's going to happen and that really helped me even though there's no guarantees at any point with anything in life it really helped me to ha- have this shift in my mindset of, yeah, like n- not I'm trying for this, I'm planning on this. It, it's, yeah, this is going to happen. I'm I'm confident that this is going to happen. Another thing I suppose I did differently, I mean, I feel like I absolutely, you know, I absolutely talked to Milo when I was pregnant with him and, and felt connected to him. But with Hugo, it was a little bit different. I mean, part of it I think was because this time my placenta was, um, at the back was posterior, so I could feel every single move that he made, whereas with Milo it was anterior, so it was a little bit, um, like he was a strong kicker, but it was a bit muted. I know the difference now. In Hugo, I felt every single move that he made, and so he made his presence, let his presence be known. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I, I, I had purposeful, I suppose I had purposeful um discussions I feel like conversations with him or I just I spoke to him at night when I was trying to fall asleep um saying that we were in it together and we were going to do it as a team I just I felt really really confident did you do any other different preparation for this birth so yes I did um kind of (laughs) so during my first pregnancy with Milo my older sister she put me on to the Positive Birth Company, which is an online um, hypnobirthing course that you can do. So during my pregnancy with Hugo, I resubscribed to that hypnobirthing course and um, gave it a, a good go to get through all the videos, and it was really helpful. Um, they also provided a track of affirmations, um, and so I would play those before I went to bed. Um, so I, I say I gave it a a good go because I only got halfway through the course. Um, but that is because Hugo decided to come early. I had an appointment with my doula and it's funny. She asked me how I, how I was feeling and I was around, would have been 35 and four at that point. And, um, 
I I just said, oh, you know, physically I'm over, I'm ready for him to come. You know, he heard me say I'm ready for him to be out and he took that very seriously. And then the next day I had an appointment with my midwife and I asked her, you know, oh, what happens if you're at another birth? Um, And she said it's very rare but then explained what the process is. Um, And then the hour after she left on the Friday when I was 35 weeks and five no, sorry, six six days then, um, I got this really strange feeling in my belly that I hadn't had before and um, I just thought, oh, that's weird. <laughs> um, and I, I'd had Braxton Hicks each pregnancy. I have them from about 20 weeks and so I, I and have them very regularly so I know what they feel like and it wasn't that but it didn't quite um, – register with me what it could be instead because I wasn't expecting you know I expected to have at least four more weeks you know I kind of just went about my day and they were the the feelings were coming and going um and getting a bit stronger and a bit more uncomfortable um and towards the evening I I kind of I let my doula know that something was going on but I wasn't sure what it was and just that it was weird um and you know she she advised me to kind of relax and have some rest and um have a bath which I was already doing it's my favorite one of my favorite things to do when the bath is available um <laughs> and which is not in my current house <laughs> which is why I mentioned that I can't have baths anymore um so I you know I took her advice and I just tried to relax and just see how it progressed and then um you know, we, we decided that if those feelings were still coming in the morning that I would let my midwife know um, and see what she had to say. And um, so I was able to get a little bit of sleep, but it was around 4 a.m. when I had a feeling that was so strong that it woke me up and then I just couldn't couldn't fall back asleep. Um, so, you know, I should have known at that point what was going on but it it just was so unexpected and you know obviously it was spontaneous preterm labor so I'd never experienced that before I'd only experienced contractions triggered by syntocinin and those are very different um those were really full-on and back-to-back and um overpowering where these ones were just momentarily uh uncomfortable verging on painful um, but they were getting stronger. And so in the morning I contacted my my midwife and let her know and she gave me the same advice to try to um, get some rest and see what happened. Um, and so I sent my husband and my now two-year-old down to my mum's and, um, you know, tried to chill out on the, the lounge um, and... It was also funny, like, I think I was just in denial now that I'm thinking about it because there was a moment where, like, I felt really sad that Milo was being sent away. I mean, that I sent him away, but, you know, he was he was not there. I felt really sad. And you hear these stories of women who know they're in labour and know, oh, this is, you know, this is the last time we'll be a family of three and, you know, this is the last time that this will be my baby, you know, the baby of the family. And I was having those feelings, but not being aware of why I was feeling sad. I was just like, oh, I miss my baby. Um, 
and that but I also was aware I'm like oh I'm feeling weirdly emotional I wonder what that's about <laughs> um <laughs> and just you know kept having those weird feelings and you know a big red flag was came when I stood up to make myself some lunch and the the contractions got stronger and closer together um because I was moving around <laughs> and then in the afternoon I started to get concerned um, with my anxiety rearing its head and letting me know it was there. And I was worried that my son could be, my baby could be getting distressed and I wouldn't know it. And that's what I said to my midwife. I'm, I'm worried he could be getting distressed and I wouldn't know. And definitely overthinking things. Um, and she unfortunately was at another birth. Um, but also at this time, she, or at this time it was, a day or two before restrictions were lifted. So even if she hadn't been at another birth, neither she or my daughter would have been able to come to the hospital with me. And that's where, where I had to go um, because one, my midwife was unavailable, but two, it was technically preterm. So I, you know, um, if it was labor, we needed to check things out. And my midwife felt more comfortable with me going to the hospital for that. So, um, you know, she said she'd call ahead and let them know that I was coming and we'll just see if I was in labor or if it was an irritable uterus. Um, and so my husband came home to collect me and we went down to my mom's. I also kind of delayed. <laughs> I delayed. I, I, you know, kind of potted around. I had a shower, um, and but I didn't really pack much because I was like I'm not I'm not staying there I'm coming back so I didn't pack much, but I knew I kind of you know got a comfortable shirt on and and had a shower, um so I we went to my mum's for some reason I, I forget why but um I was there was a point where I was in the hallway trying to talk to my mum and my sister and was leaning against the wall and having to breathe through the contractions and and none of us at that point were kind of we just thought it, I, I think we just thought it was weird and maybe they were going off me saying oh, I don't know what this is this is weird <laughs> um, but but I remember <laughs> mum saying oh it, they must be pretty str- it must be pretty strong if you have to breathe through them and it's just, you know like everyone who, who's hearing this is just like yeah that's labor but at the time <laughs> I was like oh we're just gonna see if this is the real thing <laughs> you know meanwhile pausing every few minutes um to breathe through contractions um, so we went down to the hospital, did all the checking, you know, you had to do, you know, had to wear wear the mask and get a temperature checked and having strong contractions and pausing in my walking and or my waddling, I should say. Um, and I also, <laughs> I remember that walk really clearly because I felt really sick being there. And, you know, the midwives were nice enough when we got there. Um, they took me to the same room that I had labored with Milo, um, which, you know, doubled down on my anxiety at that point because it was kind of like deja vu, like, oh, you know, this place, you know, where I was told that I had failed and that I'd worked really hard and, and but also felt that, you know, I had struggled really hard um, and that I felt like I had, I was convinced that I was going to die. So um, it was really hard to step back set foot into that that space again um but it was different this time they had changed I guess 
or, or clocked on to the idea that women don't like bright lights. So they had their own <laughs> salt lamps and um, electric candles and things like that. So it was a nicer environment. Um, you know, they put the trace on me to make sure Hugo was okay and he was totally happy. Um, they said, oh, we don't know if it's a real thing. It could be an irritable uterus. <laughs> this this phrase kept getting said to me. They were timing them and they said, oh, we'll, we'll give you some endone to see if that does anything. Um, and I'd had that before after my cesarean with Milo and it had made me super loopy and I really hated it. But this time it really had no effect on me except that it um, spaced out the contractions a bit more, but they were still super, they were getting stronger. They took my blood pressure and that was the first time it was really high. And all throughout this time I was also messaging my doula and midwife letting them know what was going on um my midwife did mention that she was worried about my blood pressure being that high because there was a risk of um I think she said placental abruption and then they sent in a doctor a, a young doctor who because they were wearing all the masks she was wearing one of those duck masks that it looks like a duck's bill and Finian and I <laughs> We're sitting there talking to her. Oh, I was laying on, on the bed at this point. Finny was sitting there. We're talking to her. And after she left, I knew we'd both been thinking the same thing. And I turned to him and was like, <laughs> she looks like a duck. And he was like, I was thinking the same thing. That was funny. But she she came in. You know, I'm I'm like having contractions that are pretty close together at this point and pretty strong and having to pause and breathe through them. And she's saying, oh, um, you know, I, I mentioned to her about the blood pressure. I mentioned to her about my private midwife saying she's worried about placental abruption related to that blood pressure. She's like, oh, well, I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about um, uterine rupture. And oh. I guess when I when I say that I kind of almost forgot I was going for a VBAC, I also forgot about, you know, forgot to worry about that. I wasn't worried about it at all. Um, maybe in the beginning I was. Um in the very beginning before I had the information that I needed, but it, it kind of just disappeared. And, you know, they she gave me a little speech about uterine rupture and used lots of um, emotive language to increase my fear, I suppose. But I was kind of just like nodding. I'm just like, I'll just let you. And I, I said, thank you for telling me that <laughs> I'm not sure what I said I said thank you for some reason and I said but I already know <laughs> and I'm com- I'm comfortable with that risk um hence planning a home birth um but you know <laughs> I guess they have to they have to talk to you about it um I don't think any kind of you know uh repeat cesarean was suggested at all at that point I don't remember that happening but I do remember her um her saying that so you know, the doctor left and left me to it. Someone was sent to get a shot of morphine and they never turned up. Um, and there wasn't really a conversation about like, oh, hey, this is a real thing. It was more I was kind of left alone. I had sent Finian home to pick up Milo and get him to sleep but also have some rest himself because, you know, if this was the real thing, I needed him rested, I guess, a bit more rested than he had been. I was laying on my right side, looking at the same wall I looked at when the doctor had come in during my labor with Milo saying, you need to have a cesarean. And realizing that I was making those same noises that I'd been making after 10 hours of labor, 
with Milo. I was I was mooing again and I kind of was like, oh, and that, that was my moment of realisation, like, oh, this is the real thing. <laughs> this is happening now. <laughs> and so somehow in between those contractions, I was able to pick up my phone and call Finney and say, hey, where are you? And I think he just literally just walked in the door and I was like, yeah, sorry, you need to come back. And I called my mom and was like, hey, can you go up to our house and watch Milo? And then the another midwife came in. She, you know, she asked me if I couldn't have my home birth, which we kind of determined I couldn't now, what would I what do I want in this this context? And so I was able to make all the requests that I wanted, which, you know, was a wait till white. I wanted to be active, but she also did a vaginal exam, which I did consent to because I wanted to know what was going on. And she said, um, with her fingers still inside me, she said, how far away is your partner? Um, because I I reached six centimetres and I did say, holy shit, <laughs> because, you know, I hadn't. And I was really excited. Um, I was really excited because I had only, you know, I'd only gotten to four centimetres with Milo. And so I was, you know, I was like, yeah, this is this is on. Um, once I realized that um, that I was in active labor and this baby was coming tonight, um, I got off the bed and kind of got into, um, you know, action station. Um, I what felt right, and this is this is I guess another thing that was a huge difference in the labors is that I was really connected to my body at that point. Like what felt right, like I listened to it. Moving to the other side of the bed so I had the, the bed in, in front of me and having it so I could lean on it and swaying. And so before Feeney got there, I had been like gripping the bed um, for dear life. And um, when he got there, he stood on the other side of the bed to me and I held onto his hands. Um, and we stayed there for a couple of hours. I, I didn't need to hold on to him when I wasn't contracting, but I needed um, needed his hands desperately when I was. And so I asked him later um, what it was like, what it was like for him, and he just said he just had to be ready. He was just like watching me really closely and then like ready to kind of be held on to. But at the time, I wasn't I wasn't really thinking of him, and I did I felt as soon as he walked in, I did feel safer. But I had, I guess, once I uh, realised that I was having Hugo that night, I guess my last um, full sentence thought was I'm reclaiming this room. Um, this is where I'm having my VBAC. This is where I'm going to be victorious. I'm not, I'm not, you know, rather than it being a place of failure, um, which I don't believe it, it was, um, well, you know, it's what failure to wait really um, on the part of the care providers. But during my first labor, but this time it was going to be my space. Um, and so when I was having the contractions that were getting stronger and stronger, I was, um, you know, remembering the, the affirmations and one, I kind of, there was a point where I was trying to like choose which one was like, was going to work for me. Um, (laughs) but the one that really stood out to me that I really loved was, birth is powerful, but so am I. Um, but that's too long to remember to say when you're in labor. So I was just in, in internally in my mind repeating, so am I, so am I, so am I. I was also, you know, uh, in terms of being connected with my body and aware of what was going on, I was remembering that in the hypnobirthing course, they do talk about the contractions moving up 
the uterus and then down. Um, and I could feel that happening and it was really good. You know, I, I am a very visual person. I need to be able to picture things in my mind. And so that was really helpful. I'm like, okay, so this is what's going on. Um, rather than, you know, like, oh, what is happening to my body? My body is doing all these things and I can't control it. And it's being made to do these things with synthetic drugs. Like it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It's like, okay, so this is the, you know, this is a process. This is a natural process that I'm a part of and aware of, um, and really connected to. And it was kind of like, it was really exciting. Like, um, being, being, that in tune with my body this time, I guess in terms of, and you know, babies can be born in various positions, but in terms of the optimal position, um, he needed to do a little bit of a rotation and I felt him do that turn during the labor and he's, you know, he's such a clever boy. Um, and so he did that and I could, I could feel it and I could feel him descending, um, I guess, through the birth canal and it felt kind of like it doesn't really make sense. The words I use for it doesn't really make sense, but like it was kind of like step, step, step down. Like I could feel the the pro progress he was making and that was like I just, it was it was really funny because I did, I do feel like I, you know, that, that saying um, women go to the stars to collect their baby and, and return to earth or whatever it is, I did feel like that did happen. Um, but also... I was also mentally present, but also really, just like really internally. I wasn't able to speak. There was a point where I couldn't speak out loud, but I could have conversations with myself. Um, there was a point where I, you know, was was thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then like there was another version of myself who, re- you know, returned with, you are doing it. Um, and then third third voice saying this is transition so like being aware of where I was at in my in my labor and being able to comfort myself that's what it was I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings so I was really internal but I was also still able to think and with my first labor I couldn't I felt like a wild animal scrambling this time I felt really and I guess not not in control but I felt really present within myself and I felt like, like I was myself and that kind of, you know, that was not at all uh, an experience I had with my labor and birth with Milo. Um, so that was another big difference. And um, anyway, there was a point where I needed to, I needed to push and I was able to say to the midwife that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put myself and um, she said, no, it's fine. Just go with that feeling. Just go with that feeling. <laughs> and I did think, you know, so the thought I had, I didn't say that loud, but it was like, I, I am for sure going to shit on the floor right now. Um, and and she's, she's, you know, she was just kind of go, go with that feeling, go with that feeling. Um, and I'm like, all right. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't, it gets to a point where, you know, you can't resist that sensation. So I was leaning, I was pulling back on Finian's hands and leaning into a really deep, deep squat. And so he, he was holding me up. Um, yes. <laughs> so he was an excellent support, um, you know, literally. So um, there was a point where in one of those deep squats and I was, you know, was roaring. That's, that's kind of the point I was at. And it felt really good to, to yell and get the feelings out that way. Um, where my waters just exploded <laughs> on the floor. 
um, and surprised me. And I, I went, oh. <laughs> and apparently, you know, there was also a student midwife there and she told me later that I'd surprised her and the main midwife they'd, I guess, not been expecting because it was just like this massive explosion um, and splashed all up my legs and all in the, the bed and just everywhere. Um, but, you know, that ramped things up really that ran things up a lot. Um, and so within the next couple of pushes, um, I didn't actually feel, you know, I, I was waiting for that ring of fire, but I didn't actually feel it. I, I mean, there was a point where the the midwife said just a little, another little push um, to get his chin out. And I was like, holy shit, there's a head, there's a chin, there's a head, there's, there's a baby emerging from my body. Um, <laughs> and just like, I think that was a point where, I was like, oh, this is happening. I'm actually doing it. Um, and I re- did remember thinking that I needed to to keep my legs apart so I wouldn't suffocate with my thighs. Um, so just, just a, it was like a really weird mix of like simultaneously just being so in it but also having these conversations, these thoughts to myself. Um, and then the next push... Uh, before the next one, uh, the midwife did ask me um, if I was able to to catch him myself because I'd said that's one of the things I wanted to do um, and I just I could not let go of Finian's hands. So I was like, no, I need help. I did reach down um, when his body emerged, but I knew the midwife's hands was both the main one and the student midwife. And I reached down to get him through my legs and I just remember being, oh, God, he's so slippery. I'm going to drop him. (laughs) Yeah, then I um, got on the bed and was just full-on shaking because I, you know, had a rush of adrenaline. It was just shivering and just out of control. Um, And there is a short video, like my face is saying, holy shit, (laughs) like what just happened? (laughs) Um. And they, yeah, um, I, I was surprised that they they kind of automatically go to give you the shot of Sinto to um, uh, deliver your placenta, and I was able to get out um, physiological because I didn't and didn't want that shot. I didn't want anything like that. I just wanted I wanted to do it myself. I had skin to skin with Hugo for that whole time. We waited for the placenta to come. I did cut the cord myself um that was another thing that I wanted to do like it was all like really obvious steps of reclaiming this whole process for me the midwife did try to assess you know if I had a tear um and she ended up calling in a doctor and two arrived um all the lights flung on I think they probably were when Hugo was out but um bright lights and these two strangers between my legs it's just this really clear image I have of Hugo on my chest and she's still shaking and these two strangers just like inspecting me like I was not there for them it wasn't a person it's just such a bizarre thing to to be looking at someone's vagina vulva and vagina and not see them as a person like it's anyway it's just Mm. it was really bizarre um and they were not gentle the female doctor was a female and a male the female doctor said, oh, you know, I think there's one here. I can stitch it up now and gave me the the local and that really fucking hurt and stinging. And it was like, I, I don't know why I just thought it would be in one place, but it was like sting, 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 sting all around. Um, that was awful. And then 
they realized that it had actually been an internal tear. So I only had, that's what it was. The the doc, uh, the midwife was like, oh, you just have a graze. Um, and I was like, woohoo. Like I, that was full on in, and intense. Like the pushing stage was around 14 minutes. And my, my labor from, you know, I guess being in active labor was two hours and 58 minutes. So it was quite fast and full on. And I was like, oh, I just got away with a graze. Um, but she's like, I'll just get the doctors to double check. And so it turned out I actually had a, quite a significant internal tear. Um, but that was discovered when the doctors got a speculum. And to me, I'm, I'm just like, that is fucking barbaric um, to have just pushed a baby out of my vagina and have a speculum inserted. And the pain of this assessment was far worse than what I just done, what I just experienced. And mm-hmm. potentially because, you know, we say it's paid with a purpose during labour and this one was just, it felt so violating, um, you know, and that's, this is where the story, I guess, takes a turn um, because I just had this just incredible experience. It didn't, I, I will admit, at the time, afterwards, I was just thinking, holy shit, I am fucking wrecked. Um, you know, this on top of that, is this and I'm shaking and trying to hold it together and trying to hold my baby and luckily the midwife said to me you can tell them to stop if you want I just I'm not sure what it is I mean I do I know what it is we have this really powerful narrative in our society that doctors know best they are the professionals listen to them shut up and just do what they say and there is something within me that does shut up in in the face of, of authority. So I didn't like I needed someone to tell me, hey, you can tell these people to stop. It was just it just it's just bizarre to me now that I I needed that. And so I said, stop, stop, stop. Like it was like she gave me permission and I know I didn't need it, but I was really grateful to her. And they didn't hear me. And she said, she told you to stop. So she was she was really good. I do appreciate her presence there. And then they did. Um they listened to her. Um, and so the doctor said, look, we're going to have to, um, I can stitch this up here, but she said something like, because you're not coping or because you're not managing. There's a lot of things from that point that I wish I could change because I was then separated from Hugo. He had not latched properly or for long enough. I hadn't expressed any colostrum like I had with Milo. So I didn't have anything for him. And I, but I also knew ultimately at the end of the day, we, I did decide to go to theater to get stitched up so I could have a spinal and not feel what they were doing to me because I couldn't, I couldn't cope with it. I, I was at the end of what I could endure. And yeah, so I was separated from Hugo and I knew he was with Finian, but still anyway, and I had actually talked to them. Um, I guess before Hugo was born, I talked to the doctor and I talked to the midwife and made sure everyone knew that I had a terrible time the previous time. And so they shared that with the the surgical team. They shared it with the shared it with the anesthesiologist. Um, and he was really good. It's kind of like basic courtesy, but like he explained what was going going on, what was going to happen before it happened. Yeah, he was just kind of like a calm presence. And the the student midwife also came with me. So I had someone, I guess, that I kind of, you know, I at least recognized who was there. I took my AirPods with me so I could listen to music. They did stitch me up and then sent me 
to a room. But I also had my phone with me. And so I had a message from Finian saying that they'd taken Hugo to the special care nursery because his sugars were too low. And I was like so confused. And I was really out of it. You know, I hadn't had much sleep and they just had a baby. So I was really out of it and was really confused about why that would have happened. Then we went went to a room where it was just, luckily it was just a bed for Finian, or there was a bed for me and a chair for Finian. Um, and by this time, it was really early, like super early in the morning. Hugo was born at 1.55, I believe it was, in the morning. And um, so it was a couple of hours later, I guess, and they said, oh, you just get some rest and you can see him in the morning or you can see him in a few hours. And I don't know why I didn't, like, just be like, no, take me to him now. But I had the spinal, so I couldn't get up and walk. And Finian fell asleep and he snores like nothing else, so I didn't get any <laughs> didn't get any sleep. And I do, do remember being like, how are you sleeping right now? Um, but the next morning they did wheel me to see him and they'd done all these tests on him. I, before I get into that, I do do want to say that I was able to message my doula and midwife and say the words, I did it. Um, and their responses were effusive and excited and congratulatory and beautiful. So that was a nice moment. Anyway, so Hugo Sugars, they had given him formula. He was really little. He was so tiny. We were there for a few days. I was desperately trying to to feed him and I was moved to a room. There was one person next to me who also had a preterm baby. We never saw each other, but we heard each other cry a lot. I sat on that bed with a pump just trying to bring my milk in. And when I got to see Hugo, I would take photos and videos of him and I'd be sitting on the bed looking at him. Yeah, I was just trying to relax and bring my milk in by myself without my baby and I was able to do that um I was able to get colostrum for him I was able to get milk for him and go and see him every two hours so I wasn't getting a lot of sleep going in the middle of the night but also just feeling you know Finian couldn't be there with me and I was stuck this fucking place I was stuck at this hospital that I never wanted to go to again and I couldn't leave like I felt imprisoned because they weren't discharging my baby. They'd put a feeding tube when I wasn't there. They'd put a cannula when I wasn't there and they put a cannula in his tiny little hand just in case. They didn't actually use it. They just did it. They wanted him to be able to, you know, be fed without a feeding tube. So we had to stay there. We had progressed enough to go downstairs where we could room in. Um, I spent the night there by myself with Hugo and I was feeding him every few hours, but after every feed, I had to go and tell the nurse, oh, um, he had this much or he, you know, fed for this long. And there was one point where I didn't do that because I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to try and feed this baby. And then when the next time I did come out, she's like, oh, yeah, we needed the last one, but you were sleeping. Or like, you know, you you basically were kind of like you were too busy sleeping. I was like, I wasn't asleep. I was trying to feed him. Like, and if I was asleep, yeah, I need sleep. But do you see my face? Like I'm not sleeping. Um, anyway, I really did not like that woman. Um, but we were able to escape. Um, however, we did have to. We were under instruction to come back um, because Hugo had some jaundice and we went back a couple of times for him, poor baby, to get tested. 
and the levels were increasing, not decreasing. And so at home, I was getting more and more desperate, just trying to to feed him and pump and then give him more milk. And he didn't want it. Anyway, um, with the top-ups, we were able to reduce his jaundice. However, um, those levels that they were testing as well, the tests they used to test for jaundice also test for these other things. And these other things, these other levels were really weird, um, really high, and they didn't know why. Um, and so they kept wanting to test him. and But they weren't communicating with me. Then one of the nurses was like, oh, it might just be because he has cold feet. And I'm like, then why the fuck am I coming? I put socks on him. Like, why am I coming back here? And I said that to my midwife who was obviously still, you know, you get the six weeks care from them after birth. She was like, uh, what? Just tell them that you're going to discharge into my care. And I was like, okay. So I called up and said that. And they said, well, if you don't come back, we're going to call fax on you, which is what family and what you did used to be called docs, but it was family and, and child what? services. Yeah. Are you serious? Hmm. Because, and, and so I, I told my midwife that and she called up and they explained to her what was actually going on, which they hadn't shared with me, the mother of this baby. Oh, that's so um, true. So then my midwife explained it to me as if I was a person with a brain. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, so, well, of course I'm going to go back then if they're worried that there's something really strange going on with him. And and so, we you know, we were having meetings with the um neonatologist I'm not sure how to pronounce that word now um and all these different doctors and they were saying oh yeah these results are these levels are really weird but we don't know what it is it could be this it could be that and some of those things were really scary then I get a call saying oh um we need you to come back in right now with your baby because it could have central hyperventilation syndrome and it has a really high risk of SIDS and also, I think that's the one where they don't usually make it past their first year. Um, but I say I think that's the one because there were lots of different things that it quote-unquote could have been. So I had all these really scary things being told to me about this tiny baby, but this tiny, beautiful, growing baby who I'm looking at and thinking, this is a n- normal newborn. He is chunking up beautifully. There was a point where he gained a kilo in 16 days. Like, and I was like super like proud. And that was at that point, he was just on my breast milk. So I was just like, we're fucking doing this. Like he is mm. doing so well. And he was, you know, getting alert and just winning hearts. And, but they're telling me that he's going to die. Like, or he had, could have this really rare thing that means he'll be on life support. I'm like, looking, I'm like, where, who, who are you talking about? Mm. But anyway, after that conversation, I was camped out in the special care nursery for a few days and they kept doing tests on him. So we were there for three, I think three extra nights at that point. And that was maybe the second week after he was born. Based on their monitoring, they were like, you know, his his oxygen levels are fine. He's breathing fine. So we don't think it's that. I mean, this is all happening and I have a beautiful two-year-old at home who's like, where the fuck is my mom? Mm. Um, You know, I hadn't prepared him. I prepared him for as much as I can of a, of a two-year-old. Um, for a home birth, I had not prepared him for me disappearing for a few days and then coming back and then disappearing for a few days. The first time I was able to leave the hospital, picked him up and just just sobbed. And I felt this little baby who had no idea where I disappeared to. Just, he just like sighed like, 
<laughs> oh, there you are. That was one of the hardest things is being separated from him too and him not understanding where I'd gone and also knowing that, you know, I was the one to get him to sleep every night and I suddenly wasn't there so he wasn't really sleeping that well. So when we were in the hospital, I was going back and forth every few, well, not every few hours, like once a day to go and see Milo. But knowing that my time was going to be really cut short because I had to go back to Hugo to make sure I was feeding him and they weren't giving him formula, which they would do if I was like just moderately late. They did eventually discharge us, but we they we had to go and see an endocrinologist, a renal doctor, a something for lung. I don't know, but he did a, he did a sleep study on Hugo, and everything. That's the thing. Everything aside from those levels was coming back fine. Um. Anyway, this is all all to say that there was a lot of scary things going on after Hugo was born. I was being told that he was very sick, but we don't know what it is. So you have to keep coming back to these fucking hospitals and your little tiny baby keeps having to get blood tests. So they ended up kind of like narrowing it down to maybe it was like his kidney function. Anyway, like he's fine. <laughs> all, all of that to say he's fine. Like he's a solid little little guy. Um absolutely fearless the happiest little boy somehow miraculously after that start in life he's the most beautiful cheeky he's just so happy but he's healthy as can be um but that was my postpartum with Hugo do you want to take us to how Evie came to be yes um I do say that she was planned. She was just a little ahead of schedule <laughs> by like six months. <laughs> the age difference between Hugo and Evie is 18 months. I, I can see it coming through her personality, but she really had, you know, this determination to exist because she had one chance, one chance to exist, and um, she she caught that bus. You know, I teach at um, uh, Western Sydney University, the college, and so I'm near whiteboards. This will make sense soon. Um, and I was co-teaching and my um, co-teacher was behind me writing on the board with her, the marker and that smell. I was like, oh, God, that makes me feel sick. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no wonder why I'm sensitive to smells all of a sudden. And I went home and took a test and it was like, I was like, is that something? I don't think, I think that's negative. And then the next one, I'm like, I'm just going to take another one. Uh, anyway, so I was like shining my torchlight on it, be like, is that a second line? And then I like went to out to Finian in the kitchen and was like, ah, uh, see, if I shine the light on it, I think I can see. And he's like, yeah, I don't need the torch. <laughs> There's a second line there. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I'm so excited. And we were like, oh, I like hugged each other. And I'm like, we're so poor. <laughs> you know, so it was kind of like hysteria and panic and excitement like our first feelings like instinctual feelings were excitement and happiness and then it was just like oh this is a bit sooner than we'd intended and like trying to figure out um but that by that stage we were engaged and so and we planned the date for our wedding and so I was like oh I'm going to be 20 weeks pregnant at the wedding that's <laughs> fine um, and you know, I was planning on doing another, um, term of my master's and that she was going to arrive right in the middle of that term. And so I'd had a plan. I had had a plan that we would have a baby at the end of that term and at the end of my term of teaching. And once we were married and <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, you know, she had other plans 
there was no question I was absolutely hiring the same doula. I also contacted the uh, parent midwife I had from my with Hugo. Uh, she was going to be unavailable when Evie was due, so I couldn't have her. But my sister was just about to have her home birth with a local midwife, so I contacted her the same day I got the positive test. Like I was on it. I was like, I'm not missing out on these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> you got to be quick. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I called up this this midwife so I had a conversation with her so I had my support team sorted it was going to be home birth this time I was this time because Hugo came at 36 weeks that was an anxiety I had I was just like let's get past 36 weeks in this time period also I was planning a wedding getting married studying working a week after my wedding my grandmother died so then I planned a funeral then we moved. <laughs> so there's a lot going on. And so, and you know, I had two very young boys. Um, so I didn't really feel super connected, I suppose, um, to her. And also we found out, I should say, should say each time I did find out the sex of my baby. So we, we did the NIPT and um, my midwife called up and was like, are you ready? <laughs> and told me, and, I, and Finney was like, woohoo! And I'm like, sorry, what? Because <laughs> I was expecting another boy. And I I had a, a baby girl. I'm like, I'll believe it when I, even though the test is like 99% accurate, I'll believe it when I see it. But I, you know, I was super busy and I really wanted different ways to connect to this baby. And so I guess something different I did this pregnancy was I did a calm birth course with my doula in this pregnancy my blood pressure did start to be a little bit of an issue um or or you know it could have been getting that way but um luckily it didn't stop my home birth so we got to 36 weeks and I was super super anxious about not making it that far once I passed 36 weeks there was a bit of a, a little bit of a sigh of relief but I did need my <laughs> it got to the point where my midwife did say um you just need to let go a little bit now <laughs> it's okay you don't have to hold her in anymore um and so you know I I did some acupuncture you know I was listening to a lot of birth stories this time I did that I should have say I did that with Hugo as well this time I was just like obsessed. I listened to all the VBAC birth stories episodes. Once I got through all those, I went into the Australian birth stories, listened to all the VBAC stories on there. Um, and it was really it was really good because I'm like, okay, it's happening this time. We got part got to 36 weeks and passed there. And I was like, okay, so now I can have this baby at home. I had, you know, I knew exactly where we were going to set up the birth pool. And that's the other thing is I was talking to my midwife about being worried about her coming quickly like Hugo did or faster she said I'll just give you the the birth pool now so you're ready to go I was trying to um get the ball rolling I guess and I knew I knew you know one of the affirmations um from the hypnobirthing course that I'd done the previous pregnancy was my baby will come when my baby is ready (laughs) And I knew she would, um, you know, no child of mine is going to be told what to do. So <laughs> I knew that was, that was the case, but I, I was still, you know, I was just feeling quite a lot of pressure um, from myself to, to get this baby out. So I went from desperately wanting to keep her in to 
being like, okay, you know, verbally saying, okay, I'm ready now. You can come out, um, but not really. I, I was still holding on to her because I wasn't ready. It's a big flip to have to make yeah. emotionally. Yes, it was. I did have to kind of have this big mental shift. And also Milo was born at 39 weeks exactly. So I'd never gotten past 39 weeks. I'd never gotten to my due date, quote, unquote, due date um, for any of my babies at that point. So, you know, the pregnancy kept going um, and I made it to 36 weeks and then 37, 38, 39, and then 39 and one. I'm like, I'm the most pregnant I've ever been. <laughs> I was really excited. Um, but I'm like, also, you can come now. <laughs> <laughs> I think at this point I had been having, again, with this pregnancy, I had lots of Braxton Hicks, but at this point I'd have been having different different feelings that felt more like what I, I kind of expected of contractions. I got to, I think it was the week that she was born. So I got to 40 weeks um, and I was like, woohoo, my due date, now what? Um, and actually because I was so eager to have this baby, I suppose, if not emotionally, then mentally, I was just like, we need this baby out. Um, I did a, a consent to a stretch and sweep from my midwife and those are awful regardless of you know even if it's someone beautiful and who, who you trust it's just not a pleasant experience yeah. um but now I know that that sent me into prodromal labor um <laughs> that's what was triggering or triggering all these feelings so I was like oh maybe it's maybe it's tonight and I spent that was on a Sunday and I spent four nights of that week thinking oh this is it it was just like and night, night after night of this, of just being like, you know, they would pick up at night. I'm like, of course, because I'm going to feel like a cat. I want to find somewhere dark and it's got to be nighttime. Um, and, you know, I had all my lights set up and I had my affirmations printed out. Um, and one of them I kind of like made up for this one, which was different baby, different births, um, because I was so worried about her coming early like Hugo did. Um, so I had that on, you know, printed out on a poster. I had birth is powerful, but so am I, of course, because I was like that, I'm going to need that one again. Um, and, but I was getting to the point where I was like, I was so like, I'm a classic overthinker, but I got to to the point where I like was messaging my midwife being like, is it possible (laughs) for me to just like not labor? And then the baby just comes. (laughs) And she's like, she must be like, (laughs) <laughs> what and she's like look silent labor does exist but I don't think that's what's going to happen here um and but we were we were all a little bit worried that um she that Evie would come and so fast that my doula and midwife wouldn't make it anyway <clears throat> so the Thursday night I was getting contractions and they were getting stronger and I thought oh maybe tonight and then in the morning they fizzled out again and I was like okay so no and then that day uh in the evening it was getting dark yeah I I started having contractions and we we put the boys to bed and I hopped in the shower and also this time I was not doing Beethoven because I had that with Milo and Hugo (laughs) I had um this track of shamanic drumming which was like amazing and I'd used it I'd like listened to it a couple of times and it did relax me and so I had this connection and I hopped in the shower and I lit some candles turned the lights I've had this drumming and 
the contractions went from something like eight minutes apart to five minutes apart and stayed that way for for a little while while I was in the shower and I was like like having my phone and messaging my doula outside <laughs> trying to you know say <laughs> oh they're five minutes apart now I got out of the shower I was at that point sitting on the um, exercise ball but I was out in the lights and I was calling <laughs> mom and I was like look I think and I kept having, you know, I had like maybe three contractions while I was on the phone to her. And she's like, yeah, I'm coming up. And then she got there and they had slowed down again. But it got to 11. I'm like, look, just go home. I think probably, you know, maybe tomorrow night. It's not happening tonight. It'll happen when it happens. Um, and turns out that's what I needed to do. <laughs> not being like, maybe now, maybe tomorrow, maybe at this time. Um, you know, it was just like, it'll happen when it happens. And um she'll come when she's ready. And so mum went home. I went to bed. I think I just messaged my daughter and said, you know, things have slowed down again. And she did suggest that I hop back in. She's like, well, if they got closer together, hop back in the shower, turn the lights off. Um, I was like, yeah, no, I just, I felt like I wanted to lay down. I'm like, I just want to, I want to go to bed. And so I listened to that and I went and laid down and a couple of hours went by. And then I was like, oh <laughs> this is really uncomfortable I had to lay down and I remember my foot was tapping uncontrollably through the contractions and I was like oh it's happening now and I called mum first and I was like I need you to come and then, and then I called Phoenix. I was like I need you to come <laughs> he was like should I call the door <laughs> and I was like yes and then I got up um he, he called her and she called the midwife and I went into the lounge room. Hey, again, had this feeling like I need to get on my hands and knees. I just, you know, I was like in it straight away. Um, and I remember looking down, there's this bloody broken Dorito on the floor. I'm like, I am not <laughs> giving birth near a Dorito. So, <laughs> so I was like, I have to get up. And at that point, oh, my mom, when I was on my hands and knees, my mom had arrived and I said, oh, thank God, you know, cause I didn't want Hugo to wake up. Um, so, but she, she took it as like, oh, you're here for me. And, you know, that's not, I was like, can you just go in with Hugo? And she, you know, no one was there yet. So she was like, oh, I just, I think I need to stay out here. And I, you know, wasn't in a position to have that argument right then. Um, <laughs> but then I, I stood up, Finian had filled up the birth pool. We knew that the, um, our doula and midwife were on their way. And I stood there and I was like, oh, I want to hop in the shower again. And he was like, well, do you want to just get in the birth pool? And I was like, oh, and I said, I don't want to do this. Um, and he's like, well, you don't have to get in the pool. And I was like, no, no, this, like gesturing to my very pregnant body, laboring body. And I remember being like, transition, is that you? <laughs> like, but it was so like I didn't go anywhere this time. I was just, I said, you know, I don't want to do this. Like I would say, I need a drink of water. Like it was just in that tone. There was no you know, and that was obviously in between contractions. In during the contractions, I was finally getting to where I was moving again. But you know, I know Mum said after she's like, when you said that, I knew, <laughs> I knew it was minutes away. Um, and I was like, yeah, same. Anyway, so I, I was like wearing a shirt, and I was like, okay, well, just strip this off, <laughs> get in. <laughs> in my first two labors, I did end up naked, but I wasn't aware of it. And this time, I was like, oh mum's here but anyway um so I was still aware very aware of my surroundings and just like got in the thing you know I was on my knees but holding onto the side and leant back Finian came in front of me because I'm like I need your hands and then I said oh you'd better call the midwife back because I remembered something she had said which was you know if um if 
I don't make it there in time, make sure I'm on the phone to you. And also I should should go back to something that really made did make a big difference um, because I would have lots of conversations and I had a lot of fear about my support team not being there and it happening so quickly. And my midwife did say to me, well, okay, worst case scenario, I'm not there. You know what to do. And it really did. I was like, oh, great. Like, again, it was just like I needed someone to say it out loud. I was like, yeah, I do know what to do. And so that's how I felt in this labor that was incredibly fast. So I woke up at 2.58 and then she was born at 4.04. I guess active labor she's recorded as 40 minutes and the pushing stage was four minutes. Wow. Um, So she super fast. Um, And there was maybe like three pushes, but I think I did experience the fetal ejection reflex. So it was just like kind of my body just doing it. Um, And I was like kind of along for the ride, Um, but in a a positive way. Um, And because, you know, there was kind of, there was no stopping. I remember my midwife was on the phone and I was like roaring and feeling these, um, these really strong contractions as she came out and my midwife was on the phone and she was like breathe and I was like oh. <laughs> trying I'm really trying here but I can't and then um because the, the plan was you know breathe the baby out <laughs> I couldn't and I remember going she's coming <laughs> and there was a point where I must have the noises I made must have Changed or actually, I think Finian said he had said, "Oh, the head's out." Um, and my midwife <laughs> said, "Okay, reach out, reach down, and touch a baby, and guide her out." And I'm, I really wanted to do that, and I'm so glad that she, she said that so that I could because I, I let go of Finian's hand and reach down, and I just still like, even you know, she's four months old now. I still like. <laughs> It sounds so weird. I, to, I can I like touch her head, and I can remember that feeling of touching her head where she was coming out. And being like, and like wanting to remember because I just, it's so funny because, you know, the question was, how did I feel about birth before I gave birth the first time? And I was terrified. I was scared. And now I'm just like, want to relive it. Like I I want to do it again and again. Mm. Um, My doula wasn't there and my midwife wasn't there. It was my husband and my mom and my two small children in bed. I knew I was going to catch my baby. I wanted to. That was the plan and that was just something that I was going to do. And so I felt her head and I guided her out and I caught her and brought her up to my chest. Mum thought she had to catch her. So it turns out that while mum's shining the torch there and the baby comes out, mum drops her phone into the birth. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like, she keeps saying, I don't even remember doing it. <laughs> I just remember thinking I'm going to have to catch this baby. And I was like, no, because I was there giving birth to her. (laughs) Anyway, I pulled her up to my chest and it wasn't an immediate cry. And I was just like rubbing her back. And Finian at some point was like, oh, the cords around her neck. And I wasn't like, oh, I have to do this. I just like knew. I knew what to do. I just unwrapped the cord from her neck. And she, she did like this like intake of breath. Um, and then she kind of she's like did a little bit of a cry. She's just so chill. Like it makes sense now. Also, should have mentioned before now, I had also hired a birth photographer. Um, <laughs> I should have I can't believe I forgot because she she really like gave us some most some of the most beautiful photos, if not the most beautiful photos I have ever seen. 
you know, she took video, she took photos and I was like, oh, that's right. She did make that funny little complaining noise when she was born. Like, and she still does. But as I was rubbing her back, I said, come on, baby. And the photographer, she was walking up the driveway and she heard me say that and she's like, oh, no. <laughs> she, you know, she she just missed the birth. And um, so she walked through the door and mum mom was like, I thought it was a midwife. And then she pulls out a camera and starts taking photos. Because <laughs> mum's like desperately wanting a professional there. I'm like, well, you got one. Um, <laughs> she's, she's like, oh my gosh, who's, who's this now? <laughs> she took beautiful photos and she she did start immediately taking photos. And I, I saw her come in and I was like, oh, she's here. And then around like eight minutes after Evie was born that my midwife arrived and was like 11 after my, my doula arrived, something like that. And then it was just, I was just in the water and it was nice and warm and I was holding Evie and then mum was like, have you seen my phone? <laughs> no, I just had a baby. Why would I have seen it? She's like walking around. I'm like, oh, kind of taking notice, but not really. There's a little little bit of video um, that my photographer got of my doula and midwife looking at each other and just laughing and being like, okay, we called it. Like, <laughs> you know, we knew it was going to happen. But the wonderful thing, I think, is that I didn't, I wasn't afraid at any point. I felt confident. I, I'm, I was going to say in control, but I was not in control. You know, I, I, that's what I learned finally going to bed and being like, okay, well, it'll happen. Finally letting go. I guess one thing I feel like I should have mentioned before now is intuition um, because despite all my birth taking very unexpected turns, there was a, there's a big relationship um, that has been impacted by these births and that's my relationship with my intuition um, because I feel like I really connected back to it with Hugo's birth, but then postpartum it was completely severed um, mm. again. And with Evie, the whole pregnancy, I really struggled to connect to it and because I was so desperate to keep her in and then so desperate to get her out and... But there was something going on that wasn't, it's not a mental process intuition. It's something completely different, similar but different. These moments of, I think, really pure connection with intuition that I wasn't aware of at the time but now I can kind of, I guess, analyse like I like to do and and recognise it for what it is. And so I feel like even though, again, it didn't go to plan but it was a beautiful birth, it was fast and intense but the best thing is that I was just with Evie no one took her away from me in fact people made concerted efforts not to hold her I was just with her and I've been with her yeah that that's it I was like I I gave birth <laughs> and it was just like what I feel like it should be like it was it was all me I guess um did you birth the placenta in the pool? No, no. Um, that I think I was trying. I remember being like, "This is some bullshit." Like, you push out a baby and you're having these contractions still. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was like, "Oh, so no, I didn't. I got out of the pool anyway. I knelt down, and we just kind of used gravity and um, was able to birth the placenta that way. It was just like outside on the 
on a on a bluey mostly postpartum period this time how have you felt oh so much better so I did um a hundred percent get post postpartum anxiety with Hugo as well as with Milo and this time it was I did have the baby blues I just have my kind of general anxiety in my my body that it's not debilitating like it was with Milo and Hugo um my anxiety with Hugo after Hugo was born it presented itself in anger I was really angry I was I was furious and my poor poor husband he really copped it. I felt out of control over every aspect of my life. And I don't think that anxiety or postpartum anxiety or depression presenting itself as anger gets talked about enough because I was so scared of myself. I was furious and it would just come out of nowhere. That was really a really rough time. Um, so I did, did want to mention that that that, that does happen, mm. you know. Um, it doesn't – a female anger is, is – a really scary thing for the world, um, you know, for the patriarchy. It's always dismissed or or not spoken about or shamed, especially as a mother. Um, mm. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> how, I need to wrap it up in a positive way, right? Like, <laughs> Well, the closing question is um, what would you go back and tell your pre-VBAC self and what would you like to impart on other women planning a VBAC? is a good question and here's another patriarchal influence of thinking like I don't want to sound like self-centered or whatever um but it's your birth (laughs) it's your (laughs) baby it's your body you are birthing this baby so yeah you are the center of it you are the star of the show you're allowed to be and you have the knowledge you have the this innate bodily wisdom that has been passed down from women woman to woman for thousands of years and it's within you and we have been systematically robbed of it and told that it's false and having our 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 power diminished and stolen and and removed from us because people are afraid of the power of women and so we're told we can't have it and we that we don't actually have it and that we're weak but we are not at all and you can trust that you I mean that's the thing I think we are we are also we have been socialized to fear our own power and so we we turn to other people and say you you know you medical professional you help me regardless of how birth happens you should never be made to feel like you don't have a place in it um (laughs) sounds so ridiculous to say um because we do know obviously that sometimes we do need help sometimes women do need help to birth their babies um but there's 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 a difference between a real emergency and a created emergency um and again that's a whole other conversation but uh, yes um Trust yourself. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much, Bron. Thank you for listening to Australian VBAC Stories. Please help us grow our community and rate, review and subscribe so more stories can be shared.
If this episode has brought up difficult or distressing feelings for you, please know there are resources that can help. Additionally, if you've experienced mistreatment or disrespectful care and want to know what options are available to you, there are organisations that can support you. You can find these details listed in the show notes. Until next time, you've been listening to Australian VBAC Stories.